Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, May 8th, 2021. I was around 12 years old. I really wanted a drum set very badly. I begged my mom for one until she finally broke down and got me one. She had to work extra hard to get it, and she probably had to go without some things for herself just to afford it. But man, I was so pumped. I set it up and I began playing in my basement. It was all mine, all to myself. But not too long after I got it, my brother decided that he was going to play drums. All of a sudden, I wasn't too excited about being as generous to my brother as my mom had been to me. When we've wanted something for so long and then we get it based on the generosity of someone else's heart, it really exposes the condition of our heart when we're asked to then turn around and let someone else use it for their purposes. Do we complain? Or do we also show love and generosity by gladly sharing what was never ours to begin with? Today, in our Old Testament reading, we see someone do just that. We start the book of 1 Samuel and meet Hannah, a woman who wanted something badly. She pleads with God to give her a child, and when he does, she turns around and joyfully gives him back to the Lord to be used for his purposes. A few things to note as we dive into this book. The book itself walks through the events leading to Israel's first monarchy. Samuel himself leads Israel for many years as a prophet, priest, and judge. Then the people of Israel, they demand a king so that they can be like other nations, so God directs Samuel to appoint Saul. Now Saul turns from God eventually, and then Samuel anoints David to be king and to ultimately take over for Saul. Now after David kills Goliath, things go south between David and Saul, and David is forced to flee for his life, running away from Saul as he attempts to kill David. And this book ends with Saul's death and prepares us for David's reign. But today, we start in chapter 1 with the birth of Samuel and the incredible story of his mother, Hannah. Right away, we get a glimpse into Hannah's situation. Uh, She is married to Elkanah and is probably his first wife. He most likely married his second wife because Hannah was barren. And we get the idea from verse 5 that Elkanah loved Hannah more than his second wife, Peninnah. So you've Got a little jealousy thing going on here. It says that Peninnah used to provoke Hannah grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And Hannah, she would weep. This is not fun for her. And it really was kind of pouring salt in the wound, so to speak. Now it says that they were in Shiloh to worship and sacrifice. And we read, starting in verse 9, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now, Eli, the priest is looking on as Hannah prays with passion, and he comes to the conclusion that she's drunk. Uh, She was not, but she must have been praying with such fervency based on his conclusion. And she says in verse 16, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman for all along. I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And indeed, we see that God remembers her and she conceives a son. This is Samuel. Samuel is born and Hannah raises him to the age uh, when he is weaned. 
her and Elkanah bring Samuel and a bull to sacrifice back to where Eli is at. It says that after they sacrificed the bull, they brought the child to Eli and he said, Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Then we read this song of prayer of Hannah. She prays for God to be glorified while praising him for what he has done by providing a son. And I think it's important to pause here and gain some perspective to bring it home for a moment. Now, if you've had a child, then you know what kind of sacrifice this is that she's making. This young boy who she's bonded with for several years is now being dropped off to be raised by Eli. And we know that He's at least the age where he can minister to the Lord because we see him doing so in verse 11. There's a few things to keep in mind when we read this. First, Hannah isn't trusting her son to Eli. She's trusting her son to the Lord. And we'll see in a moment, it's a good thing because Eli was not a great father. And secondly, Hannah trusts the Lord to use her son for his glory. She knows she only has a son because of God's kindness to answer her prayer in the first place. And she knows that her son belongs to the Lord. And let's bring it home for a moment. Do you have kids? Do you think your children are in a different category than Samuel? Well, maybe it helps to answer these questions. First, did God miraculously provide your child? Of course he did. Only God can create new life. And then second, do you... Do you too have to hand your child over to God as his? Uh, You and I are stewards of our children and they are ultimately under God's care and ownership. We may look at Hannah's decision to drop off Samuel with Eli's dramatic, but it's no more of a spiritual act of letting go than what we're called to do with our children. Ultimately, God can take care of our children far better than we can. And that should bring us comfort. And our greatest concern for our children should be their spiritual growth and how their life can glorify the father. And that's what Hannah was thinking about. Now back to Eli and his sons. Chapter two takes a turn and starts to expose the evil of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. It says that they would steal the sacrifice meat and they would take advantage of those who came to sacrifice, abusing their position and power. They had no regard for the Lord or those sacrificing to the Lord. Let's just call it like it is. These two guys, they were punks. They, they were punks and Eli let them continue to be punks under his watch, which we'll see in a second. Uh, but on the other hand, we see Samuel, he is ministering to the Lord. His mom and dad go to visit him once a year and they bring him a new robe. Uh, and we learn that the Lord blesses Hannah with five more children. She offered her first fruits to the Lord in a very sacrificial way, her firstborn in Samuel. And the Lord blessed her with much more than she could have ever Imagine. And even more so, it says Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord and later in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. Now back to the sons, these, these punks, these, these sons of Eli. As Eli got older, he would hear things about his son says, first, they were laying with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. I mean, these guys weren't just evil. They were flaunting it in the worst way, mocking the things of God. And even Eli warns them that they're sinning against God. But they won't listen, and it's God's will that they will be put to death, we're shown here in the scriptures. Now, speaking of parenting, it says that now Eli was old and he kept hearing. So it's pretty obvious that Eli didn't discipline his children as they grew up. He's only now trying to deal with his boys because they're making a mockery of his position as the priest. And he's only taking action once he's received complaints from others. 
a, a good reminder to us that whenever someone gives their life over to the pleasures of this world, doing what is right in their own eyes, it always ends disastrously. We see this once again play out. The small corrections of a child early in life guide the heart to wisdom and away from folly, resulting in a full-grown heart that is prone to obey authority and trust the Lord. Now, starting in verse 27, a man of God or a prophet comes to Eli to give him a message. He starts rebuking him for his lack of leadership. Now, verse 29 is how we can ultimately know that he wasn't parenting well. It says this, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? Can you imagine that type of rebuke from the Lord? You valued your children over doing what I asked you to do. You use my name in vain because you care more for your children than me. May I may that never be said of you and me. I pray that you and I don't disobey scripture so that we can avoid discomfort with disciplining our children, whether that be discipline or anything else that the Lord calls us to do as a follower of him first and foremost. Then this man of God, he drops the hammer. The bottom line is that Eli and his descendants, they will lose their position of honor. God is enacting a curse, so to speak, on the, this lineage and it's all going to end. These two chapters, these first two chapters, give us such a contrast to learn from. First, we see Hannah, a faithful, godly woman who is completely concerned with God's will and his glory. She prays to God and rejoices when he answers her, and she sacrifices to God the first fruits of his provision, and he blesses her descendants. Second, we see Eli, an unfaithful father and leader who is completely concerned with the comfort of his two boys in their position. He avoids their behavior as long as he can until it starts to become a public problem, and then his descendants are cut off and he loses everything he was trying to protect. So the question is, who are we going to be? Will we have a high view of God giving everything over to him? Are we so concerned with God's glory that we plead with him for the things that are for his good, his glory? Or will we avoid the hard work of ministry, avoiding sin and running away from conviction? I pray that we fully commit to the former. Not only does God deserve our honor, obedience, and glory, but it is the best way and more rewarding to our family in the end. Now, don't get me wrong. Doing what Hannah did can be intimidating. We can feel vulnerable. We can fear the unknown, but God will always protect us and be with us. Our psalm reading today is a great prayer to pray when we feel scared and overwhelmed by this world. It's a great reminder of how big God is and how we are as children under his care. Today, we read in the Psalms, Psalm 57, 1 through 5. This Psalm starts out in verse 1 by saying this, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. May we take refuge in the Lord before we're tempted to take refuge in anything else. One of the most encouraging things about the story of Hannah is her dependency on the Lord. She could have sought human solutions for her problem, but she didn't. She pleaded with the Lord for his strength, solutions, and protection. In verse 5 says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Our passage ultimately ends with a cry for God's glory. It's really easy to get hyper-focused on ourselves in times of need and trouble. Hannah was also a great example of how to focus on God's glory above all. She wanted a son, not for her status, not for her pleasure, but for the glory of God. And when he provided that son, she didn't keep him for her own comfort, pleasure, or contentment. She was willing to let the Lord use him for his glory and at a great cost to Hannah. Do we depend on the Lord for all of our needs or are we holding something back? And when he does provide, do we hoard his provision or do we offer it back to him as an act of worship? To depend on God for all our needs and to offer God everything we have, we need to have a right view of who he is. Today's passage in Mark reveals that the disciples' view of Jesus isn't quite matured yet, but that begs the question, 
is ours. So we're in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. So after Jesus feeds this massive crowd that we learned about yesterday, he has the disciples take off without him in a boat. Jesus dismisses the crowd and goes up to pray. In the middle of the night, Jesus decides to walk on water to go ahead of the disciples in the boat. But apparently they catch a glimpse of him, which was probably intentional. When it says he meant to pass them by, it's really saying that he meant for them to see him. This is another example of Christ displaying his deity to the disciples until they get it eventually. So all this is going on in the fourth watch of the night, which would be around three to six a.m. I mean, can you imagine how terrifying this would be? to see someone walking on the water in the middle of a windy sea. No, thank you. <laughs> that's just, that's, that would be so incredibly scary in the middle of the night. And, and Christ says to them, cause he knows this, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The disciples saw Christ calm the waves earlier. Then he just multiplied food miraculously. Now he's walking on water, once again, suspending the laws of nature, and they are still struggling to grasp Christ's deity. But if we stop to think about it, doesn't that make sense to us? Here we are with the complete Bible documenting all of who God is, the God who miraculously created everything, the God who miraculously saved and used Joseph, the God who miraculously saves the Israelites from Egypt, the God who miraculously brings Israel into the promised land, and the God who miraculously provides a Messiah to atone for the sins of you and I. And yet, if we're honest, aren't we still tempted to live as Christ, uh, as if Christ isn't as powerful as he really is? When the winds pick up in our life, we're tempted to cling to the life rings that the world is throwing at us, money, health, experiences, and so on. But we need to trust the God of the wind. Maybe today we should pray for our view of God to be heightened for us to see Jesus for who he really is so that we can trust him as a provider, so that we can trust him as a protector, so that we can proclaim his name to a dying world that needs a savior. Now, as we move into our New Testament reading, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, Paul has been talking to the Corinthians about not being divided. And part of what's dividing them is arrogance, where they are making much of human wisdom. And Paul has been admonishing them to remember that we are to boast in Christ if we're going to boast in anything. To make his point, he starts off chapter two by reminding them that he didn't come to them with lofty speech or wisdom so that their faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, Paul shifts gears to say, but hey, there's wisdom to be had, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. And he shares that the Holy Spirit helps us to understand our own thoughts, understand the word of God and interpret spiritual truths. And Paul closes our chapter by saying, starting in verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one for who has understood the mind of the Lord. So as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. It's so easy to glance over that final sentence, that final part of the verse but we have the mind of Christ. But let's not become so familiar with this concept that it loses its power. I mean, you and I, if we have put our trust in Christ, we're given the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit. That is so profound. And what a gift that our creator has allowed us to share in the knowledge and wisdom of Jesus Christ. In our own wisdom, in human wisdom, it's impossible to sacrifice what's ours for God or to desire God's glory above our own, or to comprehend the deity of Christ. But with the mind of Christ, we can do all of those things through his wisdom and power. 
I pray that this increases our prayer life all the more, crying out to God like Hannah for the things of God. May we use what God has given us for the glory of God, never keeping anything for ourselves. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. It's been my pleasure to fill in for Ben Blakey, and he'll be back on Monday. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.